Welcome to Flat Sharp. This is the podcast where we take two songs an episode and we use those songs as a window into music, pop culture, and beyond. I'm Benjamin Rush. And I'm Matt Soraka. So here's how it works. Each episode of Flat Sharp is a random pairing of two songs, one that I bring to the table and one that Matt brings to the table. For today's episode, I have brought Grandma's Hands by the great Bill Withers. And I have I Will Always Love You by Dolly Parton. All right. So, Matt, who is Dolly Parton? Dolly is an American singer, songwriter, performer, actress. um, Philanthropist. Yes. I think, actually, it's actor. At this point, right? There is no actress. Is that... I mean, that's PC, right? I, mean, I feel like there was like a movement in that direction. I think there's a movement. I think I I'm like behind can, the curve. I feel like you can say either now. And okay. Be, be okay. I'm going to commit to actor. Actor. Yeah. Um, and you said philanthropist. Yep, absolutely. Multi-instrumentalist? Yes. Okay. Um, and just kind of American sweetheart. Yeah. And she's from... She's from Tennessee. Uh, born in 1946 and uh, born very poor and obviously now very wealthy. <laughs> fair summation, yeah. I think. And what would you say Dolly is best known for? Don't say it. Don't, are you shaking your head at me? Because I want to handle this in a classy but Don't, honest way. There's not, it's not possible. She's, I, okay, I'll just, I first heard Dolly Parton's name in fourth grade as a reference to female anatomy. And I, I challenge any boy my age, any man, I should say. To, to someone, you think a 36-year-old guy was like, oh, no, I was really into Coat of Many Colors when I was seven <laughs> years old. You know what I mean? Like, it's a joke that is on the schoolyard. She has, she's very well endowed. She's, and that's, she's voluptuous. Yeah, that's how she came on my radar as a kid. Okay. Um, I think that's and fair. So, and I will, I will agree that, that that was my seven-year-old experience. Too. Right, yeah. What is she actually best known for? Probably, it's tough. I think... Probably the song Jolene or or this song I will always love you. Um, in terms of artistic contributions, I I would bet those two. Maybe a song like Nine to Five. Uh, maybe the movie Best Little Horror House in Texas. Yeah. Um, one of those things I think. Fair to say also she's maybe best known for just being like this icon of a genre. Ever present. Yeah. Like I think she's just been there my mm-hmm. whole life, mm-hmm. and I just see her and I think country music. Right. Even if I don't know what that means. And she, because of her ongoing surgeries, she basically looks ageless. I mean, you can tell she looks like she's had some work done. She but looks like twenty-two. Yeah. I mean, she's she admits that she wears wigs, and you know what I mean. And she's very like open about that. But yeah. She looks really ageless in a, in a kind of a um kind of a strange way, but also kind of like a beautiful way. Yeah. You know. I don't know. I'm with that. And so where does this song, I Will Always Love You, from 1974, find her, you know, in her in her career trajectory? All right. So I'm going to just put it out there that I'm not a Dolly expert by any means. You're not and a Dollyite. I'm not a Dollyite. And with someone with a career as expansive as this, you run the risk of kind of giving the person short shrift. You know what I mean? But from what I understand, this is her 13th studio album. Right, which is ridiculous. Um, this is kind of like a Stevie Wonder, where the, she was making albums at 12, 13 years old, or, or yeah. professionally recording. You know, um, so thirteenth album, and it I think marks a shift in her career when she um, professionally dis, uh, dissolves the partnership with Porter Wagner. Right, and um, which we can talk about the songs kind of written, I guess, about that um, relationship coming to a respectful end. But I think this is the next album. Um, 
or one of her solo albums immediately after that partnership is dissolved. So I think it's kind of like the beginning of the um, Dolly solo career that we are still witnessing right now. Okay, so Dolly Parton, I Will Always Love You. Where do you want to start? So I don't think that Dolly Parton is really artistically as well known as she really should be. So in researching, I ran into some crazy stats on her career. And I know you probably had to have seen some of the same things. Yeah, she's got like Michael Jackson level stats. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, like beyond in some way. Yeah. You know? And but it's 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 ironic that she's not that well known given on paper what the resume reads. Yeah. You know, so let's just throw out some of those just to the listeners to to get a sense of how much uh, impact she's had in her career in country music and in pop music. Okay. Uh, you you kick it off. What's one that you bumped into? I got one that says that she is the most honored female country performer of all time. Mm-hmm. So of all the famous you know female country performers, Reba McIntyre, Loretta Lynn, the Dixie Chicks, Emily like Harris, Emily right. Harris, like yeah. she is the most. She's at the top of that mountain. Yes, she's the most honored of all those people, mm-hmm. which is saying something. That's saying something for sure. Um, I like this one. Um, in an interview with Larry King, she claims to have written, and I think it's substantiated, three thousand songs. <laughs> three thousand songs. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think she says like she writes something almost every day. Right. Whether you know whether whether it ever like, gets performed or turned into a real song or not, maybe right. not. But that like that's unbelievable. Like I'm sorry, what was that number? Three thousand. That's I mean the whole Bob Dylan has like five hundred songs. Yeah. You know, and then we're like, oh my god, that's amazing. Three thousand songs. I mean, we could have a whole separate conversation about like like the gender conversation about like who's a real writer. Yes. Like, yes, like 3000 songs. Right. I mean, how many of them can we name? Like five. Yeah. But I mean, you know, for 10 years, she was just a hired gun as a songwriter. She was almost like a, the equivalent of like a Carol King, like Brill building kind of like country hit maker. And that that's maybe misleading. I don't know how many of those songs have been published or recorded. That's a different, that's a different distinction than than written. You know? Okay. I got, she has had 25 number one hits on the Billboard country chart. Yeah. 25, number ones. Um, I have that she has been inducted into 15 halls of fame. I was, as I was saying, it, I was like, is it, it's not hall of fames. It's halls of fame. Halls of like fame. Like attorneys general. Same thing. Attorneys general. Yeah. Yes. So 15, including like national songwriters, country music, songwriters hall of fame, Grammy, gospel. She's just, she's everywhere. Okay. I got, she has had 41 top 10 country albums. 41. 41. Yeah. Of, of which Jolene, this album, was the 13th. Yeah. Um, one of my favorites, she's been nominated for, um, so she almost achieved what's called the EGOT. Are you familiar with this? <laughs> no. She was nominated for... <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> she was nominated for an award and won some of them, but she's been nominated for an Emmy, Tony, Grammy, and Oscar. Oh, I did hear this. The EGOT. And she's the only person ever to be nominated in no, all of No, there's things. tons of people. Oh, there are not, many. Yeah. Okay. So someone who's won all four would be like Whoopi Goldberg gotcha. has won all of those. But, okay. But the list is short of even to be nominated. You yeah. Know, but she's in that list. Um, she is the only person who has ever achieved a number one single twice with the same song. With this song? This song. Yeah. In 74 and uh, with a, a re-recorded version in 1982. Not to mention Whitney Houston. Not to mention. Biggest yeah. single by a woman ever. Ever. With yeah. this song in 1992. So quick little trivia there. Okay. Whitney's 
held Whitney's version held the record for like nine years, right? For for <laughs> for a while, for most singles sold in a week. Okay. At something like six hundred and thirty thousand copies in a week. Who broke that record? You should know this because it's a prior guest on our show. The in a week record. In a week record. Taylor Swift? No, in the '90s, someone who was just killing it Jeez. with a tragedy, a song, changed the lyrics. Nirvana? Nope. Elton John, "Candle oh. in the Wind," oh, Redux '97. The Redux. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> it sold 3.5 million copies in a week. Goodbye, English Rose. Yes, I believe. Yep. Yeah. All right. You got any more Dolly stats? Um, those are the big ones. I think we've made our point. Yeah. Hundred million in sales. Yeah. It just the career is it's literally unbelievable. Um, so I think maybe the point is that like whatever people know about Dolly, like in her soul, she is an artist. Yes. Like she is a writer, a performer and a singer and a country artist. Like Mm -hmm. of all the other things that she does, Mm -hmm. like clearly these accolades speak to someone who is a writer and an artist and a performer first. Well put. So let's talk about this song a little bit. I will always love you. I think I think a lot of people are more familiar with the Whitney Houston version um, and might be surprised and delighted to know um, and have a have a have a listen to Dolly's original. So I'm curious, you know, what do you like about this song? Of all the songs she's written, this is one of the best known. It's become one of these cultural, you know, things. People mm-hmm. know this song. Mm-hmm. They know this chorus. They know these words. Mm-hmm. What do you like about this song? Um. It's an extremely earnest performance. Yeah. And you, you spoke, I think, off air a second ago about how earnest she seems, uh, which is, again, like juxtaposed with all the makeup and the wig and all the costuming, which you could interpret as not earnest, you know, but she, jo- Dolly herself seems so genuine in this performance of the song. Just, I love it. And she still performs it. You and I were talking about, what, the Glastonbury clip we saw? Yeah, from 2014. Right, and she's still out there doing this song. She's still doing the spoken word section. <laughs> the spoken word break. We got to hear the spoken <laughs> word breakdown at some point. Um, maybe even right now. I hope life treats you kind. And I hope that you have all that you ever dreamed of. And I wish you joy happiness but above all of this I wish you love but I, I do think that the the understated vocals in this mm-hmm. are are really beautiful mm-hmm. and and if you've never heard this version and you're more familiar with the Whitney version mm-hmm. which is best known for the explosive yes Yep. You know, high notes that she hits, especially in the key change in the second half of the song. Whitney mm-hmm. just blows the roof off the place with mm-hmm. this song. Dolly never does that. Mm-hmm. She never gets to a a crazy crescendo with mm-hmm. the song. It's a very understated performance. Yeah. Um, and she really holds it tight. Um, I agree. I also love the beginning part of the song before she sings. The but the interplay between the lead guitar and... And just all the instruments, there's this little lick that kind of has this didn't 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 didn't, and then it goes down to the F sharp minor, and that guitar just has this beautiful like wow wow that beautiful yeah. sad morning. It's elegant. I was surprised to learn that this song um, 
in, in terms of who it was written for, it seems to have been written for this former collaborator, songwriting partner, uh, partner uh, Porter Wagner, yeah, who she collaborated with for many years, who decided to go solo. And it's, it's more of a, a tribute of friendship. Like a goodbye, like a, a bittersweet goodbye. Than I ever realized. I yeah. always figured it was, it was love lost, yeah. you know, and, and trying to wish you well. Which is what Whitney interprets it as, I think, in yeah. the Bodyguard, the soundtrack, right? Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's recast as, as a romantic ballad. Mm. But it seems like the original is, is more, of, more of a platonic, mm-hmm. I will always love you. Which you don't really hear many songs that are platonic love songs to a friend. Yeah, that's a short list, it, man. <laughs> It is a short list. Like Queens, you're my best friend. (laughs) You know, something else is, for those who know both versions, Whitney approaches the vocal, the melody, quite differently. Really different. There's an extra syllable. Yes. And I... Dolly plays it more straight, and she plays it... There's something about playing it straight that, to me, cuts closer to the bone. I would tend to agree. You know, at first I kept thinking, I'm like, Dolly, you're singing it wrong. Because I knew <laughs> I knew the Whitney version. Right. So I'm, I'm like, why are you clipping the melody? I'm like, yes. it's supposed to extend for extra syllables on those, yeah. on those notes. And um, it took me a little while to adjust to, honestly. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't not compare the two in my mind. But of it's course, when, when Dolly's writing it, she has no idea what Whitney's going to do with it oh, 18 years yeah. later. Right. You know, but yeah, I think you're right. I think I think that more direct approach has a real rawness and a power to it. Yeah. And the high note she hits at the end um, on the kind of final chorus is super successful. Um, so I just think it's it's a heartbreaking song about something that's actually fairly positive. Like it's like a, just a, a fork in the road, a, a parting of ways. And I mean, what a gorgeous tune. Her voice too. Come on. Yeah, you know, it's got that country. I mean, it's actually an interesting connection to Bill Withers, who was also a very earnest performer. Mm-hmm. And and we'll talk about this with Grandma's Hands. But, like, I think that's one thing that these two performers have in common is there's not a lot of, like... Pretense? It, at least in these songs. There's not a lot of pretense. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's just kind of what you see is what you get. Like, I wish you well. Like, if I should stay, I would only be in the way. Mm-hmm. It's not fancy. Mm-hmm. It's just heartfelt. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just freaking honest. Yeah. And you can feel it. You can. And there's something really genuine about that. It doesn't need to be fancy to be beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like that about this tune. All right. So something that I think has to be on the table here is this is a great song. Dolly's um, original version is great. However, most people know... If we're going to be fair, most people know the Whitney version way better. Absolutely. I mean, the Whitney Houston version is the biggest selling single by a female artist in the history of music. Ever. So, 
It's strange how sometimes a song, the better, the best known version of the song, is not by the composer of the song. Yeah. Right. And does that make the original not good? I would say no. But it's 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 interesting how people can take it and push it in a direction that's new and arguably better. Um, I asked you to can I come up with a list? You know, like a couple days ago of songs that we think the the cover is not necessarily better, but it's more famous. That's the way we should play this. More famous, because better is a hard subjective thing to, to win. Yeah. You know? But what are some some songs you came up with? I, I'm going to add a small caveat. I, I think right. that I think that I like this conversation. I'm excited to share some of these lists. Um, I do think this is more of a modern phenomenon, though, because I think in the jazz age, mm-hmm. when you had a, a lot of performers just constantly interpreting show tunes and and accepting songs from from professional songwriters, I think you would often have this dynamic of the original version maybe came from an obscure show that mm-hmm. the Gershwins had made, but then Sinatra cuts it later mm-hmm. and it becomes really really famous. So I sure. think I think there's I think there's more instances of this than we might realize. It's but just, I think in terms of like our modern conversation about this, right? I think there's a lot of interesting things that happen. Is that just based on audience and who's listening and now the audience is much larger than in yeah, 1930s and maybe. 40s. I think it's also based on the nature of how songwriters get music. Mm-hmm. And I think that that we're talking about situations where the original was by an active performer mm-hmm. and not by like a hired songwriter. Correct. Yeah, sure. sure you sure. know, like Gershwin was sense. not like a public performer the way that Dolly Parton is. Yeah, makes sense. So anyway, okay. Um here, here's what I will say. The First song that came up in my mind mm-hmm. when you asked me to think about this was Respect. What you want, baby, the very first song that came up in my mind is that the Aretha version is the definitive version, the most famous version. No question. Not even close. No question. Um, but written by Otis Redding. Yeah. Now, Otis's version is also well-known. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's like an overlooked version. It's fantastic. You yep. hear him do it live. It's crazy. But like Aretha's version is, is far better known. I agree. And I think actually better. Yeah. I'm going to go and say it. Yeah. I think she does something with the song that Otis can't get to. Okay. And she puts a gendered spin on it that Otis can't get to that's really powerful and became part of how people think about that song. Um. I like that you said how just you were like it's no question that it is the definitive it's definitive versions I guess yeah. I want to recast the conversation as definitive versions. Okay, so I agree with you there. I, I would say the first song that I put down was nothing compares to you. Yeah, the Prince Prince Sinead O'Connor. Right. To me, the Sinead is the definitive version of that song. I mean, it's hard yeah. to even find his version of the song. I never heard his version until a few years ago. To be yeah. honest with you, I think I thought it was a Sinead O'Connor song right. until until somewhat recently. Right. So right. that shows what I know. What else came out top of the head? What else do you? Have? Another the one that came up pretty quickly for me was All Along the Watchtower mm-hmm. um, from Dylan's John Wesley Harding album. But by far, I mean, I know two versions much better than that one. One being the Hendrix version, which mm-hmm. I think is the iconic definitive sure. version. And then I really became more familiar with that song via Dave Matthews. Oh. Dave Matthews does a really, really exciting, pretty awesome cover sure. of All Along the Watchtower and has in his live set for, for 25 years. Sure. So those two versions, I think, are probably actually better known than the Dylan version. I'll even add one more to it. Uh, on U2's album Rattle and Hum, they cover All Along oh. the Watchtower as well. Okay. Um, but that Hendrix version from... Is- from oh my 67 God, yeah. or whatever. And I think that Dylan is a quote I remember rattling in my brain here about Dylan talking to Jimi Hendrix and saying, that's the way that song should have been played. <laughs> What's interesting about yeah. that one is that Hendrix did it like right after Dylan did. 
Mm-hmm. It wasn't, you know, 15 years later, like right. this, like this right. song. It was like the next year or there's two a, years later. There's a story when that when Sgt. Pepper came out. Oh, this is a true story. <laughs> who was it? McCartney and Ringo or somebody went to go see him like the next week. No, it was like the next night. Like it, Hendrix was playing at Royal Albert right, Hall. Right, right. Sgt. Pepper's came out on like Monday morning. Like he's playing Tuesday night. And he's playing covers, Sgt. Pepper. Covers the lead yeah. track. Paul McCartney's like, excuse me? Yeah, like that's that's high praise, yeah. baby. <laughs> yeah. All right, what else you got? All right, the next one that I, I think we have to mention is Twist and Shout, Beatles on the oh, Isley Brothers. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, the Beatles version is by far the definitive. Um, a more obscure one that I've always liked, and I think a lot of people don't know, is Blinded by the Light. Ooh. Is actually a Springsteen song. Yep. Off of his very first album. Um, greetings from Asbury Park, mm-hmm. but uh, the Manford Man yeah. version is is so much better. The now. radio, and, that's what's played on the radio more, and, yeah. and is an awesome version of that yeah, song, absolutely. and probably the definitive version. Um, we have to mention Hallelujah, the Buckley version. Yeah, although the Cohen version I like a lot, but Jeff Buckley's Hallelujah is now achieved a level of coverdom that I don't think maybe any other song has ever achieved in terms of. Yeah, I mean that's next level for surpassing yeah, the original. Right, um, Cocaine. Sure. J. The J. famous uh, Clapton tune, which was actually a J.J. Kale song, is another mm-hmm. famous, famously sort of misunderstood cover. I got um, one for you. I wonder if you're going to follow me on it on this one. Do you accept this one or not? Take Me to the River, Talking Heads version of Al Green. That's a great one. Yeah. Well, you know, I think you're much more likely to hear the Talking Heads version on the radio. Yeah. I hear it all the time on, on, on kind of pop radio. All right. Um, I like their version a lot. Yeah. Um, I think it's nicely done. I think yeah. it's a cool cover. Yeah. You know? It's funky. It's nice. Yeah, they do a pretty good job with it. Um, one more from you. I'll, I'll give one more. What do you got? I think one more I'll throw out is me and Bobby McGee, mm-hmm. uh, the Janice cover of the Chris Christopherson tune. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that was another one that I thought of. That's another one that I think is a really lovingly done, not too long after the original, Mm -hmm. you know, almost like the Hendrix and Dylan thing. I don't even know if I can, like, you know, hear his version in my my head. I'm not sure I've ever heard it. Yeah. I just have, I just know that he wrote it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe he's never performed it. I don't know. Uh, One more. I, I love the Woodstock cover of CSN of Joni Mitchell's oh, song Woodstock. Of course. Right? I mean, come on. Wow, Beautiful. That's such a good one. And I, But I do think I like her version more. I just think that their version's more well-known. Hers has a haunting quality that is spooky. Hers is so slow. Yeah. After you get used to their version, it's hard. I find it hard to listen to her original because yeah. it's like nine times slower. It is. Yeah. Um, so that's a, I think that's a pretty comprehensive list. This is certainly one of those songs, though, right? Where it's like the original is great, whatever, but the cover has surpassed it for generations of listeners now. Yeah, and I think you made an interesting point earlier that I think Whitney recasts it as a more romantic ballad. Mm -hmm. And Whitney's version is fantastic. I listened to it yesterday a couple times, Mm -hmm. and it's great. But I I really like this Dolly version. Yeah. I think to me this is the one now that I really am going to keep going back to. Yeah. It's got that quiet earnestness Mm -hmm. and that, that sort of like really sweet gesture of friendship that you can't fake. Um. Are you familiar with the Elvis Presley story around this song? Yes. So chime in here to, to correct or to... Great re- story. Re- yeah. About Apparently, Dolly's integrity. Yeah. So in right around 1974, the song comes out and Elvis is, you know, in his final years as a performer, but still out there. I think he's in the Vegas scene at this point. He's fat Elvis. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of jumpsuits, a lot of <laughs> sideburns. A lot of karate. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of jumpsuits and karate. A lot of yeah. karate happening. <laughs> um, and his manager, Colonel Tom Parker, approaches Dolly and her management about covering the song. But apparently the deal is, right, that if 
a well the, i think the way he says he's like listen typically yeah. typically here's how it goes here's how we do yeah, it here's how we do anyone who elvis graces with his you know um presence and performs their tune typically they sign over half the publishing rights to elvis and to me you know what an asshole and i'm just like <laughs> but it had been happening oh you know? sure because to has to have elvis do your song bumped up your cred yep. and your money and so she said no she's like I cried about it for a long time. I had to say respectfully, no, thank you. And then she had some great line about like, and then when Whitney did it, I made enough money to buy Graceland. So it yeah. didn't matter. You know? <laughs> but talk about integrity though. And just going with your gut. Yeah. Cause I imagine how many people were like, are you, are you crazy? This right. is Elvis Presley. Yeah. Who cares about half the rights? It's Elvis. Right. Uh, yeah. Hats off to you, Dolly Parton. Uh, I love that story. It's a great little window into kind of what she's really about. Yeah. So we could go on and on, but I mean, I think we said all the really crucial stuff. Yeah, I like that you brought this tune. You know, it was a tune that I've been aware of but hadn't really spent much time thinking about. And she's a performer that I've been aware of but haven't spent much time thinking about. So yeah. I, I, I spun the album Jolene quite a few times mm. this last couple of weeks gearing up for this. And it's a great record. Yeah. And she's fantastic. It is. Great so, country sound. Thanks for bringing Dolly. No problem. Thank you. The next song on today's episode is Grandma's Hands by Bill Withers. All right, Benjamin, who is Bill Withers Jr.? Uh, yeah, William Harrison Withers Jr. Uh, was born uh, on the 4th of July in 1938. Really? In, yeah, that's right, 7-4-38 in Slab Fork, West Virginia. It's a tough he, name for a Very town. tough, very tough. Um, he is an American... Um, Singer-songwriter, um, performer, um, I think probably best classified in the genre of soul, rhythm and blues, um, and maybe folk music as well. Um, had a string of hits through the mid-70s and early 80s, and then famously walked away from performing in the mid-80s and basically has not had an active career since 1985. All right, so what's Billy Jr. best known for? <laughs> so diminutive, <laughs> Billy Jr. No, it's like it's, it's formal, right. informal, sorry. Informal. Yeah. Um, I would say that Bill Withers is best known for his best songs. Um, Such as? And, and his best known songs. Songs like Ain't No Sunshine, songs like Grandma's Hands, I mean, this you're, one. you're missing the big one. Songs like um, Lean On Me. There it is. And yeah. Use Me. Um, he's written at least a half dozen songs that are part of the cultural fabric that okay. you could easily hear on a, on a, on a Ford commercial and mm-hmm. in a feature film mm-hmm. and on the radio. Mm-hmm. He has written a number of tunes that are part of the fabric of American life, have become standards, classics, anthems. I'd say he's best known for, for his... Um, for his best-known songs. Small window of time there, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, probably particularly Ain't No Sunshine and Lean On Me. Yeah. And where does this song find Bill Withers in his career? It finds him at the very beginning of his career. Bill Withers got a late start in music. He was in his early 30s working as a mechanic and working for an aircraft company building toilets when he was shopping around a demo um, with some of these early tunes, Ain't No Sunshine and Grandma's Hands among them. Mm-hmm. He paid for the demo with his own money, um, kind of secured his own record contract, You know, kind of a self-starter, self-made musician, never intended to be a musician. Mm-hmm. So he's literally kind of like an accidental superstar. Mm-hmm. The cover of, of this first album, 1971's um, Just As I Am, has him literally standing in front of the aircraft company that he worked for, holding his metal lunchbox, just wearing <laughs> jeans and like a yellow t-shirt. It is like the most modest beginning you right. can ever imagine for a guy who went on to become a pretty big star. I, just, I picture like the A&R guy like, 
So, Bill, I, I saw the album cover. I'm wondering if we want to go with something a bit more flashy. Um, maybe you in like some kind of, you know, non-factory sh- shot. At which point, you know? Bill Withers just gets up and walks out of the room. and like He puts a cigarette out talk- in his eyeball <laughs> yes. and like leaves the room. Doesn't talk to anybody for like six days and then fumes about it for 50 years. So it finds him at literally the very beginning of his career, but not at the beginning of his life. He's in his early 30s when this first album drops. Yeah. So yeah. he's he's a new songwriter, a new performer, yeah. but he doesn't sound like it no he doesn't which is one of the amazing things about bill withers all right this is one of our uh go-to lead-off questions but i think given the right artist and song it's it's um a really great lead question what do you like about this song so much to pick this song because really with bill withers you ask anyone they're gonna pick lean on me or Ain't no sunshine. As like, oh, I know those songs with this guy, right? So yeah. It's kind of not a deep cut, but it's 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 on the essential, you know, Bill Withers album. But, yeah, it's on the greatest hits. Right. It's on the live album. So why? But why this like kind of lesser known Bill Withers song? I, you know, I've always liked this tune a lot. I don't know that it's like my favorite Bill Withers song, but it's it's one of them, and I think it's become a classic in its own way. I think it's just got a brilliant economy. It's it's barely two minutes long, mm-hmm. um, and I think it really tells a powerful story. I think it's a powerful tribute, kind of like. I will always love you. Like you don't see that many songs that are like a tribute the guy wrote to his grandma. Right. Like you don't see that many singles. Like this out. This song was a single in addition to "Ain't No Sunshine" off his first record. Right. You don't see that many singles that are like tributes to grandma. That's true. Um, and I also think that the the imagery is is more the imagery that a that a poet and a short story writer chooses as opposed to a musician chooses. Even just the opening stanza: "Grandma's hands clapped in church on Sunday morning." grandma's hands held a tambourine so well i love the repetition Mm. of the expression grandma's hands 12 times it's said Mm. in the song um and he he portrays his his grandma this was actually written by his real grandmother or about his real grandmother um, which is kind of a cool thing to note it's not a it's not meant to be a tribute to just anybody's grandma Mm -hmm. it's actually about his she actually played the tambourine in church she yeah and and on the live album at carnegie hall he tells the story of going to church to see grandma and how she would get caught up in the spirit of the lord and and shake that tambourine Mm -hmm. uh, play the triangle um it's just a very tender tribute. Um, I love the the opening section where it's just that hi hat click. Grandma's hands clapped in church on Sunday morning. Grandma's hands played a tambourine so well strummed guitar the acoustic guitar and then him just kind of humming mm-hmm. it sounds like a, an old blues song or a mm-hmm. spiritual it harkens back to a to a prior generation um you know bill withers is old enough born in 38 that his grandfather was a slave mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i just like think about that for a second i'm like this guy's old enough that his grandpa right. who he grew up knowing right. had been a slave right that's kind of crazy right yeah. you know and i think i think in a lot of ways he's trying to capture that ancient sound mm-hmm. the blues and the swamps and the south mm-hmm. and this is this is a modest song about a modest person mm-hmm. you know and what does she do she you know soothes a local unwed mother mm-hmm. you know she imparts wisdom and advice to her grandson you know she stands up for him when his mom wants to spank him drop it's, the apple core drop the apple core say yeah. don't you whip that boy what you want to spank him for didn't drop no apple core, but I don't have grandma anymore. If 
If I get to heaven, I'll look for grandma's hand. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't have grandma anymore if I get to heaven. Yes. Not when I get to heaven. Yep. If I get to heaven. I just think it's lovely. What's I just the think line after that? I'll look for those hands or I'll, I'll yeah, see grandma's hands? If I get to heaven, I'll look for yeah. grandma's hands. And, and so I think there's a poetic sensibility that takes this image of grandma's hands, both as actual hands mm. that could hold somebody mm-hmm. and could do things, but also the metaphorical grandma's hands mm-hmm. that is this like iconic image of comfort. And reaching back to prior generations. Like yeah. You said, and, um, um, did you know this song? Had you listened to it or heard it much? I didn't really know it. I am not a fan of Bill Withers. I'm not not a fan. I just was not really. I knew Lean On Me and Ain't No Sunshine. And then I queued up his like the essential Bill Withers. And one song, I like the song a lot, but one song I really like a lot. What's the title? I Hope She's Happy Now With Him. Yeah. Like that song, his vocal delivery on that song yeah. is great. Some great singing. Maybe the lateness of the hour Makes me seem bluer than I am. You know, Withers famously walked away from music and from fame. He was with Columbia for about 10 years and became very disenchanted with the way that they tried to represent him and, and tried to impose image on him. He was a very reluctant guy in the spotlight mm-hmm. never felt super comfortable being a you know a sex symbol mm-hmm. like like people tried to kind of make him out to be mm-hmm. you know he had a joke like you know once you have a hit single all of a sudden you become a lot more handsome yeah. you know and he's like nobody ever called me handsome in my life until yeah. i was 32 right just ask andrew ridgely right <laughs> you're all over ridgely today. <laughs> sorry i'm all sorry. over this poor yeah. guy but but Withers had this cool thing, and, and he he famously kind of walked away from music, and people just confounded. It's like Salinger or something. It's like, uh-huh. how could you... Walk away from that. How could you walk away, not right. only from your own ability, but from the opportunity that was in front of you? Right. One of the things he talked about is how, like, in these... In his early instincts as an artist, they were not grounded at all in any desire to be famous mm-hmm. or successful, and there was no input from the outside. And what do you mean the, by that? Well, he was just writing what, what came to mind. He wasn't thinking about it being on the radio. He wasn't trying to please any any ideal audience. And mm. the more famous he became and the more people told him what he should be writing, mm. like, oh, Bill, you got to get a, a, a hot rhythm section. Do oh, you a duet get, with you yeah, know, you Stevie get some, Wonder or something. They wanted right, him yeah. to cover an Elvis song, right, you know, right. and, and, you know, they were, oh, you got to get some, some singing girls in the band, you know, mm. and you should dress like this. And he really resisted all that, just, mm. just angrily pushed back. Whereas I think a lot of people embrace that. He mm. pushed back against any of that. And he talks about how, like, if you don't let people into your headspace, it's amazing what you'll actually do. Mm-hmm. He's like, you might write a hit single about your grandmother. Right. You might write a tribute to friendship. Mm-hmm. He's like, but if you just brought those ideas into an A&R guy at Columbia and said, hey, mm-hmm. I'm going to write a song about my grandma. No, 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 no. You I'm going to have a tribute like, to my friends. Right. You got to have some sexy things. Yeah. Billy, Billy, get over here. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so I like that also about this song, that it comes from this place that I think is kind of uncorrupted. And is just pure expression. Mm-hmm. I don't think you see that that much, mm-hmm. um, to be honest with you. Um, and I think it's when you, when you see interviews with Withers, he comes across as a little bit bitter, even still about his experience in the industry. Mm-hmm. I don't think he was built for it in the way that a lot of people are. He supposedly has. I was able to catch some of it. A an epic 
speech at his induction to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's pretty epic. Um, the quality was fairly poor on the version I saw, but he's a witty guy. And he's very, very witty, honest guy. Very honest and very intelligent when you yeah. hear him just extemporaneously talk. Yes. It's a great scene from that night where Stevie Wonder covers Ain't No Sunshine with and he Withers sits next to him. sitting next to What's him. What's he doing? I was like, is he like holding I thought something? he was gonna I thought he was gonna kick into yeah. the second verse. No, <laughs> he, no. He just sits he's there. He's just an amazement. What, well, another thing that's kind of cool about this song, it's interesting trivia, is that, um, you know, the people that heard Withers' demo must have known he was great because they got top shelf production and mm. musicians to back him. So Booker um, T. Jones, the great keyboard player from Booker T. and the MGs, produces Just As I Am, this first Withers record. But check out some of the backing musicians. On lead guitar, on this track, and mm. on Ain't No Sunshine, the whole album, Stephen Stills. Yep. Just phenomenally guitar player. Yeah. I'm going to cue up a little a little clip from from the guitar playing on this and then contrast it maybe with some CSN playing and you'll hear stills. Sure. Except in Jesus' hands, Grandma's hands. Grandma's Donald Duck Dunn mm-hmm. from the Stacks Rhythm Section playing bass. Jim Keltner, who's playing drums on everything. John Lennon's albums, yeah. everything. Yeah. I'd be surprised if he wasn't playing drums on Dolly Parton. <laughs> the guys He's not. Everywhere. I looked it up. He's not, but yeah. So that's kind of cool um, about this track is that it's it's really well produced and really well made. Yeah, absolutely. What year is this again? Give me the year. Uh, 71. 71. Okay. 71. You know, and, and you know, Withers didn't even quit his job even after Ain't No Sunshine was a single. <laughs> He was like, you know, I got this pretty good job. Back at the factory. I'm, Making, I'm, sorry, what did you say? Toilets? Toilets for aircraft. Yeah. You know, this yeah. guy was in, the, was in the Navy for nine years. Yeah. And then just had this kind of average job and seemed pretty content. Yeah. He talks about how when he left music, one of the reasons it was okay for him was yeah. that he'd had this whole other life beforehand. Yeah. So for him, he knew a life without any of those trappings. Right. And so it wasn't that big a deal for him to live without them. Whereas right. other people were like, how could you live without you know all yeah, that? Or yeah. how could you walk away, man? It reminds me in a, in a kind of a different entertainment uh, realm, but I'm a huge fan of Ricky Gervais, you know, the comedian. Sure. And he didn't hit it big with The Office until he was like 38 years old. He was actually working in offices. Yeah. And that kind of informed him. So when he kind of was able to do this, he was able to, his art, I feel like, felt more authentic because he was living and working in offices. That's wasn't cool to wasn't think he having about. to like conjure up like what an office feels like? He was like, "This bullshit sucks," <laughs> and you know I'm doing it every day. You know, and there's something really working class that that informs that. I think Bill Withers to me feels like the most. He's like Rocky Balboa. Yeah, you know, and he's, he's got that everyman quality. I read this quote from Questlove, uh, the drummer from the Roots, who's kind of a musical sage, you mm-hmm. know, and, and just kind of brilliant guy. And I'm paraphrasing, but he said something to the effect of he was talking about African-American uh, listeners and musicians. And he talked about Bill Withers being so special to the black community because he said that he's the closest thing that we have to Bruce Springsteen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Me- meaning what? Like he, think about that for a second. He's a blue collar guy that yeah. is not just the image of blue collar, but actually is blue collar. I think that's what he meant. I think I think what he what he went on to say is that like a lot of famous black performers in his mind, have this kind of like almost superhuman aura, like James Brown or, you know, Stevie Wonder Kanye or, or Kanye or, or Michael Jackson. And that, and that Springsteen, you know, even though maybe now has ascended to that, his career is built on this idea of just being a guy from New Jersey. Right. Asbury Park. And mm-hmm. it could have been anybody. Mm-hmm. And I think Withers embodies that same kind of spirit. Like, you know, it, it, 
even though they couldn't be because he's really talented, like mm-hmm. it almost feels like anybody could be Bill Withers. Mm-hmm. Like the guy working at the coffee shop down the street could be Bill Withers <laughs> if he just decided to pick up a guitar. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and so I thought that was a really interesting way to think about him from a racial perspective, which I never thought about before. Mm-hmm. That's cool. All right. So one thing I was thinking about when um, I was listening to this was I feel like I'm a fairly nostalgic person um, in general, much to the uh, frustration of my wife and uh, family. Um, I was just at home this past weekend. My mother made me finally empty out like in my old room, like a dresser with some built in like wooden boxes that have things in there like boy scout card from like 1989 you know just like weird shit that like she's like can you get this out of my house i'm like ma this is good this is important this is stuff. good stuff this is good stuff this is how gold. would you how would you mm-hmm. define nostalgia or that impulse nostalgia is like over romantic over romanticizing the past in a way that um well in in the movie um midnight in paris midnight in paris and you're gonna what, say yeah the guy what's the guy say he's like it's a failure to accept the future or the present so it's like yeah. a, a hearkening back to like what you deem as better times when they weren't really better times okay i don't know how accurate that is you know that's woody allen's uh, take on it but um there's something where it's like you are romanticizing and maybe you know run the risk of losing out in the present or future i okay. think there can be a risk there yeah in this but nostalgia is also this like I don't know. It's something about looking. I always liked looking in old yearbooks or like, yeah. old, you know, like there's like a magic in that. So whatever. But okay. my grandmother's house, I remember the house, the smell. And so when I was here in grandma's hands, I was thinking like, okay, when I walked into my grandmother's house, she had this little like kind of like shelving unit built in right to the right of the door. And there were these ceramic donkeys that were the ugliest things I've ever seen in my life. But um, I still have them. My dad has them in his like basement now, but they are like, I am instantly brought back to 1986 or something when I see those donkeys, you know, and some things just like imprint on your brain Mm -hmm. forever and you can't, they're just there forever. And my grandmother's house is like a museum of nostalgia to me mentally, you know? So when Bill Withers was talking about his grandmother's hands, I was thinking about my grandmother's ridiculous ceramic donkeys. I was thinking about how she hid her like house key under a potted plant with tinfoil around the roots it was weird you know what i mean all the little oh, things that details though. make make it unique you know so she had a she had a stove you'd pull out from a cabinet like you'd pull the stove out an electric burner like a galley stove it was like, like from like the 19 like 30 it was like old school you yeah know? but like all those her house was like a museum of the 1930s you know but like um so that hit home with me this song i was like oh my god all that stuff i used to yeah it does know, it does ring some personal notes i mean my my grandmother's one is still alive. My grandma Jean turns ninety in June. Yeah. When I think of her hands, I picture a cigarette. Oh yeah. Wow. And and like a, a glass of scotch. Still. Even still at eighty nine. Just ripping butts. Has her daily cigarette and her and her scotch and water. Oh. Um, and that's what I picture. And then my other grandma mm-hmm. on my father's side just passed away right before mm-hmm. Christmas mm-hmm. and. Um, she had these very bony, veiny hands. She yeah. had poor circulation, and so her hands had a bluish tint. Mm-hmm. Um, and I picture her doing crossword puzzles. Yeah, that's that what her hands were up to. And then she also collected thimbles. Interesting, an odd thing to collect. She did a lot of needlepoint. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I still have some great needlepoint of her. So I picture her doing needlepoint yeah. and or doing a crossword. Yeah. When I think of like her hands and what they were up to. But it's thin, frail, like paper thin hands. You can yeah. almost see the blood flowing through her hands. They um, were so thin. I have a weird story about that. Another connection to my other grandmother. So this is during the O.J. Simpson trial in 90... Or sorry, not the trial. The the uh, car chase. What year is that? 94. 94. The Bronco chase yeah. happened in June of 94. I was at my cousin's graduation in Dearborn, Michigan. My grandmother, my mother's mother was there, and she had extremely thin skin. I'm not sure if it was an, actually, an actual condition or something, but when you just said papery thin, so she fell when we were there and just like bumped something, and her, her skin was so delicate that it actually bruised and tore some of the skin like off Whoa. her hand and started to bleed. It was just so delicate. You know what I mean? Like the the skin was so fragile. It's like tissue paper. It, or it was. It was really. And so she just bumped something and kind of fell and like and disturbed the skin. But it was like. Would she like bruise easily? Like bru- my grandma yeah, would exactly, bruise. Like exactly. the, you can just look at her wrong. Right. And she could get a bruise. Very easily easy to bruise. And so, um, but it was right when the O.J. Simpson thing happened too. We were all like, Oh my god, the juice <laughs> what is going on here. The juice. <laughs> the juice is doing this. Yeah. And I was like, Wait a minute, the guy from Naked Gun? Really? <laughs> <laughs> he was a football so player. True. Yeah. Oh, what was his name in Naked Gun? Uh, oh, Nordberg. 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 I was going to say yeah. Strebeck, but yeah. that's from something else. Nordberg. Oh, my God. Yeah. You know, talking about our grandmothers made me think about I, one of the things that's great about Withers, I think, which is that his music has a universal quality that you can see yourself in. Mm-hmm. Um, even a song as specific as this, which is about a real person, is able to ignite a memory book in the mind of the listener. And in his better known songs, I think even like Ain't No Sunshine and Lean On Me have this this anthemic universal quality that anybody can see themselves in. Um, and I think that one can aspire to write like that, but I actually think it probably comes from a much more specific place in the heart and mind of the writer. Mm-hmm. And I think it's why songs like that are so hard to write. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, it's, I, think, I think it's why people like Withers' music and particularly his best known songs is they have this imminently digestible quality that you can always grab onto mm-hmm. and they conjure up memories, you know, they they relate to specific images in your mind and they, they feel eternally relevant because of that. Mm-hmm. I'm with you on that. So we've come to that moment. Uh, at the end of each episode, we try to make some kind of connection or, or make, make a bit of meaning um, talking about the two artists, synthesizing a little bit. So we've got Bill Withers's Grandma's Hands. We've got Dolly Parton's I Will Always Love You. What do you see here? You see some connection or something to talk about with these two artists or these I two do. songs? I, there's two things. There's one easy and one a bit. We'll see if the audience goes with us on on this on this uh, connection here. The first one though is like, these are both two songs that are songs written from a loving place, not romantic love though. Right. That's very true and very unusual. Yes. So they're love songs, but not romantic love. So that's A. That's A. B is that these two performers kind of stand in uh, in kind of opposition to each other, or the contrast. They're they're contrasted. Bill Withers, <laughs> I love that. What was he making? Toilets? Straight up. Airplane toilets. Straight up. Okay. And, and when he talks about it, he's like unapologetic. He's like, yep. yeah, that was a good job. Yeah. <laughs> he's you, like, I really like it. That Johnny job? Carson yeah, goes, no, no so problem. what was the good part, Bill? <laughs> Right. <laughs> the toilet seats. Yeah. So he's making toilet seats for airplanes. He's like super blue collar. He doesn't enter the business until roughly 32 years old. Right. Right. Um, and he leaves, you know, what? In the mid 80s. 85. Like, I've had enough. He has not released music since 1985. Yeah. Um, 
maybe there was a promotion at the at the factory. I don't know if he went back to that, but but seriously, but he's yeah. So he's like he he's been cashing checks. Since yeah, then. seriously. Yeah. And so he's super late to the game in terms in terms of what we think of like a rock star. You know, um, contrasted with Dolly Parton, who with the day after graduating high school moved to Nashville. Yeah. And had been writing already since age, whatever, seven. And for know? 50 years has never stopped. Yes. And seems to be at home in a way that Michael Jackson reported only feeling at home on the stage. She's right. just like on the stage all the time and seems like she'll never get off the stage. And seem, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, I in no way judge Dolly Parton for the amount of surgery. And she's open about it. She has some quote that was ridiculous. She was like, yep, yeah, anytime I see something dragging, sagging, or bagging, I nip <laughs> I, t- I suck, I tuck, and I, I don't know, something else that rhymes with that. Yeah. You know? But so she's open about it, you know, yeah. and she's like, this is part of my image in the industry. So good for her, you know, but that's so opposite of what Bill Withers, his ethos about, you know, performance. And, oh, yeah. There was this documentary you know, made about Withers in a few years ago called Still Bill, and they go to his house to interview him, and he's just like wearing a tracksuit <laughs> and just hanging out and just like sitting right. in a chair, like watching TV. It's like not uh, putting on any kind of a facade or a front. It's like the opposite right. of Dolly Parton. It's like Ray Liotta at the end of Goodfellas, just yeah. like just in like, the front porch. Yeah, like, whatever. I'm a schnook. Yep. You know? That's what I do now. Yeah. So Fine. kind of polar opposites in the world of art, it seems like, you know. I don't know. That seems that's that's all I can do with that. I think that's, yeah. that's that's hella good. All right. Well played. And so that brings us to the end of this episode. We would love to stay in touch with you. Please send us an email at flatsharppodcast at gmail.com. You can check us out online at flatsharppodcast.com. You can tweet at us at at flatsharppod. And if you have a moment, we would really appreciate you heading over to iTunes and either reviewing or um, just rating the show. It helps other people find their way to it. Thank you so much for listening. We can't do it without you. Um, I'm Benjamin Rush. And I'm Matt Soraka. And we'll see you next time. (laughs) 